0: Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word, your Holy Spirit that you've anointed us for such a time as this. Lord, let this not be man's message, but God, let it be clear. Let it be your message from your spirit, from your heart, that I and the rest can receive it and run with it and we give you all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said? Everybody said? So I want to talk to you today about Jesus on politics. And you know, we're in a time right now, a season in our culture, and our nation, where everyone's peddling fear. You can't raise money in politics if you don't peddle fear, right? You can't raise money in the media industry if you don't peddle fear. So there's nothing that brings division or divides like politics. And the reason being because nothing divides like fear. And when we look at this in the context of us in the United States of America today, what exactly we fear? What do we exactly fear? The answer is the same for all of us on a macro lever. We fear loss. We fear loss. We fear the loss of our children's future. We fear the loss of what we've accomplished so far, what we could accomplish. We all fear and we're all one, and we're all family. And it's not a theory what the devil has set up to try to distract, try to divide, try to tear apart what God has put together. So there's fear, and fear of the unknown is what every one of us deal with. We all deal with the fear of the unknown, and here's the key, here's what I wanna talk to you about today, fear, causes division. Fear causes division. Whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a, a workplace, a ministry, and especially in a nation, fear causes division. And that's what we'll talk about today. And here's what you got to realize. Fear will make you a victim. Fear will make you a victim. But more importantly than that, He will divide you, and he will divide the church. And it's up to every one of us to look at politics from Jesus' perspective. So I'm not here today to try to get you to change parties. I'm not here today to get you to believe one way or the other way. I'm here to try to get you to focus on Jesus' way. Because Jesus is very clear about what he believed about politics. Jesus is very clear about what his mission was and still is today and how you and I play a role in it so it's very critical that you and I come to the place and realize that we have an unprecedented opportunity to model for our community what it looks like what does it look like here's what it looks like here's Jesus perspective he believes and he spoke and I'll read in John 17 get into it here's the key that we, should, that we can disagree politically, but love unconditionally. Disagree politically, but love unconditionally. Let me help you. If you're spending your times and your weeks and your months trying to convince people to vote your way, unless you're living it out and living an example and doing it through love, you're not going to win anybody. Now, most people try to do it through Fear. But it's up to us as a church to realize that our mission is not politics. Our mission is not political. Our mission is greater than that. It's the great commission of Christ. So what I want to challenge you today and what I want to ask you, if you can or if you're willing, even though you disagree on politics, what can you love unconditionally? You see, when we see stuff on social media, people are just trying to share their point. Somebody else slams them over their point. And before long, it's bickering and fighting, and it's, it gets ugly, doesn't it? And someone's like, well, I'm just trying to tell them the truth. Well, you're trying to tell them facts. Truth is Jesus. He is the truth. And he's what sets you free, not politics. But that doesn't mean that you can't be involved in politics. I encourage you, if you want to be in politics, go door to door. Do whatever you want to do for your candidate. But always remember this, when someone disagrees with you, your mission is to love them unconditionally. All quiet in the Holy Ghost house. So we here at Bethel have a unique opportunity. You know, years ago, We've always been a multicultural church since we opened the doors. We never advertised it. We never marketed it. Not only that, because God said to Stephanie and I, Pastor Stephanie and I, and you've heard me say this many times before we came here in our family room, one of the key missions, he said that Bethel would be a church of the Gentiles. And I questioned God. Well, I thought we were engrafted in the divines with the Jews. Well, you mean church of the Gentiles. I mean, you mean the word us kind of you know, on the back side of the desert. What's up, God? And he said, no, you will be a church that is made up of all cultures, all nations, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all races, and all those kinds of things. And I'm like, oh, and then he he gave me an illustration. Like, when you go to a University of Kentucky football game and the stadium's full, you got all these different people on the same team. I talked to a prominent African-American pastor after uh, the uh, first election when uh, President Barack Obama won and he took me out to lunch and we were talking and he said, "Uh, how did your church handle that? I said, oh man there's all kinds of craziness going on we pray and I think we lost 100 people already and we haven't done anything. See that's the problem we didn't do anything. We should have got ahead of it like I am now he said, well you wouldn't believe what happened in my church. I said, what? He said, I'd go down to my adult Sunday school room on Sunday morning and break up a fist fight between my deacons trying to teach a class arguing over politics. Now his church is 99% African American and he still had a fight in his church. So when the news media peddles to you that well, black people vote this way, women, peop- women vote this way, middle-aged white people vote this way, suburban, not, that's their message. And they never get it right. Have you figured that out? (laughs) They don't. But here's the key. What I want you to realize, in this room is all different. There's people that are Democrat, Republican, Libertarians, Librarians. I mean, all the stuff in between. (laughs) But the world is waiting to see not who you vote for because you just have one vote. They're watching how you handle yourself from this point through and beyond the election. That's what they're asking. I remember years ago, probably 16, 17 years ago at a presidential race. I mean, I was, man, I was preaching and I'm just young and dumb. And I'm just up there preaching, big choir. And we're a multicultural church. We're people from different backgrounds, voting different ways. And, And I'm just like, well, basically, you know, if you can't vote this way, this may not be your church. Maybe you just need to find another church. and I, and people grace me. We didn't have people leave, you know. It a, but it's like that I know of. And I had some people come up, we love you, Pastor. Woo! You know. But but you know what? What you come to realize, anytime you stand behind man before God, you lose. You lose. And i by the second term of that president, I'm so disappointed, I still about vomit when I hear his name. Nothing personal to him, he just didn't live up to what I thought he was going to do, which really, Dalton's opinion don't matter anyway, only God's opinion matters. So then we went the other way and didn't say anything for a while, then we started saying stuff. So, so I'm just like, now, the last couple of elections, I just kind of get ahead of it, lay it out there, but I believe this is one of the most balanced messages God's ever given me concerning politics. So we have just this amazing opportunity as a church, being a diverse church from all different backgrounds, to show people even if we disagree politically, and you do, and we will, we can love unconditionally. Amen. And does this mean love when you're on the church property and kill each other on social media? Come on. Right? That doesn't mean just love, you know, on the church property and blast each other when you see each other out, you know, at some event. I can't believe they went to that event or they didn't go to that event. It means that we love unconditionally. No matter whether you're a libertarian, a librarian, a Republican, a Democrat, it don't matter. Our mission is what? Why we exist is what? We're a place, we're a church where you belong. You're loved just as you are, not as you should be, yes. well, as people think you should be. Yes. We're at a place where we believe in Jesus and his word, not Republican and Democrat and Libertarian. We're a place where you become a fully devoted follower of Christ. We're a place where you build the kingdom, where you make a difference. God didn't put you on this planet to make a difference to get someone elected If you're living in that kind of—that doesn't mean don't work for a campaign, don't vote. I think Everybody should vote. But I just want to tell you, if you have your confidence in whether or not this person or that person gets elected or not elected, then you're living in fear. And the heart of the king is in God's hand. No matter who they are, he will do what he wants to. He will steer them the way he wants to, just like he's done unsaved kings throughout time. He can do what he wants to. So do what you need to do, but do it in love and do it in grace and mercy and pray for everybody. Can we do that, church? I said, can we do that, church? All five of us can do it. I don't know about the rest of it. So here's what I want to ask you. Here's what I want to talk to you about today. And that's this. I want to ask you a question. And as I ask you this question... I don't want you to answer out loud. I don't want you to amen. I don't want you to do any of that. But I ask you this question, and and I want you to really think about it. I don't want you to say, well, that's what I do, and roll your your eyes, because that's not what you do all the time. I see you. I hear you. I see you on, I don't get on, I try not to get on social media that much anymore, because I see you all and different church people beating each other up over stupid stuff, not just politics, all kinds of crazy stuff. But the question is I want to ask you do you want to or do you think you can do this thing? Disagree politically and love unconditionally. Every time your blood gets boiling and you're watching your favorite network and you're not limiting yourself more than 10 minutes a day you're already going crazy. I'll tell you that I have to. And whenever something rises up in you I want you to remember these words. I can disagree politically, but I am called to love unconditionally. Now, I don't wanna ask you just to do it on the surface to please me or to, you know, make it look like you're holy in front of your Christian friends. And I don't mean just to tolerate someone and their political view. Oh, I just tolerate them. I love them, you know, just like Pastor said, love them just the way they are. Well, also, the other part of why we exist is believe in Jesus and his word. And we're going to get into his word in a minute. We'll see how you think then. Let me ask it a different way. Are you willing to evaluate your politics? Can you all put this up? I gave you my notes, this, a couple of these sections. Are you willing to evaluate your politics Through the filter of our faith, our historical faith, what you were raised and to believe about Jesus and how we're not only to the, the golden rule, right? The greatest command is what? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, whether they're a Democrat, Republican, or Independent. Whether they lean toward the socialist side or non-socialist side or NRA side or non-NRA side, whatever side they lean toward, you don't have a choice if you're in the kingdom. But to love them with no conditions. Hmm. So are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than, listen now, rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? That that convicted me there. Let me say it again. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith as church, as the body of Christ, rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? See, it's easy to, in other words, are you going to put politics in front of your faith or behind it? Who's first? Seek ye first your political party and your candidate. Oh, oh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and what his righteousness and what all, everybody say all, all. these things will be what added to you. So it's mission critical that we line up with Jesus and his word and that our faith supports the kingdom. Not taking our faith to, see. It's, I, if I do another one, I might do part two next week. But uh, if I do it, I'll hit on this one thought, and that is everybody, no matter what your political belief is, Republican, you know, Democrat, you know, Socialist, Libertarian, wannabe, could be, all that, any one of them can flip through the Bible and find words of Jesus, words of some prophet in the Bible to support what they believe. You hear him do it all the time. There's not a political party in the country, I don't care what it is, that doesn't somehow say they support the teachings of Jesus. So what's that mean? That means they take their politics and they make their faith support their politics instead of taking their faith and putting it before the politics to determine their heart and their mind before God. Is that good? just Just tell your neighbor that's good. Just tell them that's good. And I'm just taking my time with this because, you know, I'm just like, want to make sure that it soaks in. You know, daddy's just got to kind of take sometimes when your parents talk to you, and your, your leaders, sometimes they, we talk too fast. So I just want to take my time with you, make sure I get it all out. So so let me say it a different way. Our faith and why we exist as a church should come before any political views we have. So, are, listen to this. Are we willing to follow Jesus? Let me, let me ask you a question this way. Are you willing to follow Jesus even when it requires you to put space between you and your political party? Space between you and your candidate? Whoever that might be. Are you gonna follow Jesus when it doesn't line up with some of the things that your party or your candidate or whatever stands for? Are you or are you gonna reshape your faith to find a way to support what they're doing or what they're saying? So let's get into what Jesus had to say about this. Jesus, Jesus saw the division coming. He wasn't concerned about the political race or campaign. But he saw the division coming, the division in the church because the nation will go as the church goes. This nation, this western culture was founded on Judeo-Christian values on the Bible. That's why the western part of the world is where more freedom, and it's not perfect, but more freedom and prosperity and all that stuff is, and peace and protection, is because it's based on Christian values. And So what we got to realize is everything we stand on today came from God, so let's trust God to get us through tomorrow, right? Let's don't get all nervous and upset and let fear cause you to be crazy. So Jesus saw the division coming. So now we find his final prayer in John 17, John's Gospel, chapter 17. We'll start in verse 1 in a minute. And sometimes this prayer is called the the high priestly prayer. But think about this. This is the prayer Jesus prayed just hours before he goes to the cross. This is the thing that was most important on his heart before he spent his final hours on this earth. And he prayed for two main things in this gospel. Two main things. The first thing, Jesus prayed for you and for me. And we'll talk about that toward the end of the message. The second thing he prayed for was not a prayer for someone, but he made a request to God. Hmm. Could you imagine being in a prayer circle? You know what a prayer circle is? You know, a prayer team gets together, a group, small group, and they're praying. And then they start taking requests, right? Could you imagine being in a prayer uh, circle with Jesus and he makes a prayer request? I have a prayer request. You, you, the Son of God, you have a prayer request? Yeah, I have a prayer request. I mean, I mean, when you think about it, it's pretty crazy. But Jesus makes a prayer request. Now, we know what we would pray if when we're praying to God. We know, well, Lord, can you help my kids? Can you help my cat, my dog, my income, make me hot, hot and grow me some hair? But what would Jesus pray? What request would Jesus make just before he's... Taken in and beaten, cat and nine tails, he hangs on the cross and dies for you and me. What request was so dear to his heart, so significant and so important? Let's look at it. Let's look in verse 1 of John 17. And it starts out like this. His prayer is, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Now, think about this. We look at the word hour. This hour, this hour after three and a half years has come, right? And after three and a half years has come, and he's been leading these guys, walking with these guys, living out the kingdom in front of them, showing them unconditional love, showing them how to heal people, how to deliver people, how to set people free, how to preach the gospel. He's been doing all these things, training them to be sons of God And the hour has finally come at the end of this three and a half hour period when he's going to be taken away and they're going to be here. He's been living it out in front of them. Then we look at the word glory, glorify means make visible, make seen, but it also could be said as to be lit up. Jesus is saying, Father, the hour has come, light up your son. Light me up so that they see you and I are one. Light me up up so they see that you and I are connected. Light me up so they can see you clearly and the mission gets accomplished. He said, light me up. I think about this. The interesting thing is the hour which he is crucified that Jesus is referring to, light me up, is the hour in which God is most glorified. But you and I, if we were in that hour looking at what happened to his son, we would be most horrified. Yes. What God saw as glory, we saw as horror. To see a man beaten, that's innocent, his beard plucked, his back's with stripes, the meat ripped off his back with a cat of nine tails, swelling, broken, hanging na- naked up in front of his mom and the community to die for a crime he didn't commit. To us, that's horror, right? We would be horrified. But God, in that hour, was glorified. You and I would look away, right? You and I would just look away from it. God just looked better. See, how could God look better in that moment? He looked better because when his son was lit up, it gave us a path to redemption. So when you think about your perspective and your point of view and your persuasion and having it your way, think about that hour. Think about how the Son of God prayed that he would light up his Father. Light up bigger than any political tent, bigger than any nation's commands or doctrines or any of that stuff. Light up. let's drop down to verse 11 now Jesus was saying we're at the hour before all these events are getting ready to kick off right God I'm getting ready I know his time has come to an end and then look what he prays in verse 11 holy father look at this now holy father protect them who's he talking about protect his disciples and all of his disciples they will make all the disciples that will come in the future protect them look now By the power of your name. The name you gave me so that. We'll hit so that in a moment. But what's interesting here, his purpose for protection is different than what I saw his protection until I really got into this. His purpose for protection was not a physical protection. He's not praying for a physical protection. What's he doing? He's praying for something he feels that is so much more important. He's praying for something that's so much more mission critical. Here it is. His one prayer request at the end of this verse that I just read you, verse 11. His one prayer request is this. Put it up there if you can. That they may be one as He and his heavenly Father, we are one. At the end of his life, he wasn't rebuking demons. He wasn't saying protect them so that they don't. He already told them their future. Some of you be flogged and stoned, and some of you even be crucified. Some of you have your heads cut. Some of you, you're going to die for the gospel. They were already in. They, They knew that was going to happen. He's beyond that with him now, and he's saying, Father, I pray. What? I pray my request. What? He didn't have two requests. He didn't say, Jesus, could you, God, could you make my suffering an hour shorter than what it's supposed to be? Or, God, could you help them to understand this about me, what I really meant from my heart when I was teaching them? Oh. He just had one prayer praying for us. And one request. And his request was what? His request was that you and I would be one. That you and I would be in unity. Anytime you or I allow anyone or anything to upset the unity of God in our lives, in our families, in our business, and especially in our church, we're going to be in for a lot of heartache, suffering, and trial. He was saying, as long as they were in lockstep together, as long as my disciples and my future disciples are in lockstep together with He and His Heavenly Father, the world would change for the better. But once the church is splintered, it will stop. If you really want your country to do better, you got one vote, dude. That's it. One. One. And probably what you're doing is increasing your influence. If you really want to make a difference, go and vote, but stay in unity. I, I had people the first, like eight, well, 12 years ago, whatever, the first election, something, I can't believe they're on the prayer team and they voted that way. I can't believe they're on the prayer team and they voted that I had people leave the church because certain leaders voted certain ways. Now, they wouldn't have known it if you hadn't blabbed it all over social media. But you had to blab it all over social media. You, not you. They're going to guess, but was it? Did? But 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 you know you don't win friends and influence people on social media. You just get categorized in one club or the other. That's it, and you lose half your influence at best. Hmm. Drop down to verse twenty. Somebody said, "Oh, please go on. Help us, Jesus." Now, here in verse 20, he prays for you, he prays for me, and he prays for us. Verse 20, he said, now here's his prayer. We've got his request, right? Here's his prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. Hmm. Hmm. Not just for these disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, Jesus was not just praying alone for those disciples that would be left after he would be crucified and rise from the dead and be with the Heavenly Father. He was praying for those. He was praying for generation after generation after generation of Christians. And what do you think? He prays for us, not what we would pray for us, right? He, he prays something different than what you and I pray for us. My hunch, virtually none of us have really prayed this or prayed it very often in our Christian walk. That is, that we pray that we stay in unity and that we love unconditionally. Maybe if the church and maybe if people like me and people like you have been begging God for this, the world would be a better place. Again, he says, "'My prayer is not what for them alone,' But I pray also for those who believe in me, What through their message. How how many is all of them? All is all. In the first century, that meant all the Jews, all the Gentiles, all the rich, all the poor, all the slaves, all the free men and women, all the soldiers, all the tax collectors, those that paid the taxes, the educated, the uneducated, the in-between, the under, the over, and all of that. Oh, he prayed for everyone, not just believers, but those that didn't believe. He said, Father, forgive them to the ones that were crucified in that day. But we get all ruffled if someone doesn't believe the way we believe. Honey, you believe the way you believe because of the experiences you've had, both of pain and pleasure. Started from the time you were born, you were conditioned. That's why we keep saying around here, if you're not growing, you're dying. you got to keep growing. you got to keep learning. you got to keep studying the Word. You've got to find truths and revelation and be in leadership so what you can grow and not be who you were, but become who God called you to be. Now, all of them, who's all of them in the 21st century? That's Republicans, Democrats, that's, that's the, the privileged, the unprivileged, that's the independent, that's the indecisive, that's the libertarians, that's the white, brown, black, the married, the single, in other words, all of us. His prayer was for all of us, what? To stay in unity, to love unconditionally, so others would believe. Because he was lit up not just for you and me, but for those to come after us. Jesus was convinced as, as impossible this, as this mission seemed, he was still convinced how critical it was that it could be done. See, whenever we don't get our way, what do we do? We run to our corners politically, relationally, in every other kind of way. And Jesus is like my church is going, he said, my church is going to be so different. You can imagine his vision. You imagine Jesus, he said, My church is going to be so different, so diverse, so international, and have so many languages and colors and cultures. And, and if there's any way they can remain one, as long as they remain one, it's going to be so amazing. Could, could you imagine Jesus sitting around with his disciples, right? Saying, uh, Hey, Matthew 16, is it, or 17? I'm going to build my church. Peter, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades or hell will not come against it. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be greater than politics. It's going to be greater than kings and queens. There is nothing spiritually, economically, politically, monarchs, or anything that can stop my movement. My vision, my dream. I mean, he's sitting there with these guys after most of them had left when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. The others just stayed because they didn't have anywhere to go. And his crew is kind of dwindling away, aren't they? And Jesus is just making it plain. Can you imagine his disciples peering like, Yeah, sure, Jesus. Ooh, Peter. Yeah, Jesus, sure, Jesus. And he's looking over at Timothy going, What's up with him? Is he drinking too much of the wine for communion, or what's his problem? I mean, we're sitting out here broke, hiding out, and he's saying we're taking over the world forever. He said, and we can, if we'll protect our unity and if we'll love unconditionally. So look at this, Then in verse twenty-one, he prays, "Father." Just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that hmm so that that's a purpose statement all that other stuff was loaded up to release some purpose so that you know why he prayed for you not have oneness it really doesn't have anything to do with us It has everything to do with what he wants to do through us. See, we're all caught about us. What are you doing in us and through us? In us and for us. But he's more concerned about what he's doing through you. And the more he can get through you, the more he will get to you. He said, the reason I want to be one, he said, is so the world may believe that you sent me. And then in verse 22, it says... I have given them the glory. I've lit them up. I've given them the glory that what you gave me, that they may be one. Remember, even the disciples couldn't be one. They were fighting over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And he said, the least of you will be the greatest. They couldn't get, wrap their heads around that. He said, that you may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I am them and you and me, so that they may be bought, brought To what? Complete unity. The things you go through, it's not so you get better. Sometimes you die. Sometimes you go bankrupt. Sometimes you lose your car. Sometimes friends betray you, business partners betray you, you go bankrupt. Sometimes stuff just happens. But his main goal was, whatever happens, if you protect unity, I'll protect you. Yes. And I will give you seven times what the devil stole from you if you will stay in unity. Yes. Yes. Unity is not Burger King. Have it your way. Unity is sometimes when you don't have it your way, but you have it his way. And there's lots of times I want to say stuff. Oh, believe me, I like it on social media. I got some things I could say, <laughs> right? But I don't because Stephanie won't let me. But other than that, <laughs> the Holy Spirit won't let me because I've learned over the years. I've had people on this staff getting blasted on social media. I said, you, well, I want to. I said, no. Well, they're volunteer. Well, I'll just no. Well, you mean, Pastor? We can't, we can't just defend ourselves. I said, and who are you to defend yourself? You need to stay in unity. They're not in unity. Well, they're not your responsibility. They're out from under the covering, but you're my responsibility. If you're going to be under my covering, you will stay in unity even when you don't like it and even when it doesn't feel good because you don't have a choice. Yeah. in Christ. What is to be alive in him. Is that what it is? what it is? I don't think dead men really have an opinion. I, I don't think dead men's desires are really considered any longer. Either you're dead in him or you're not. What you'll find out when something doesn't go your way and you want to break out of unity, you find something alive in you that needs to die. Oh. Something quick and woof. Well, you need to there's times something will frustrate me, and I go, "Okay, God, okay, crap. I'm about to learn this lesson again. I've learned this twenty times. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord, and I'm just going to try to do better. And I'm just kind of focused for a week and have to re- regroup. regroup, right, Jeff? Regroup. You know, isn't that true, Cindy? We we got anything that's alive in us that's not of Him? We got to put it to death. That's right. That's right. Amen. Listen, I know this is to you, but your opinion. Doesn't count. That's right, Jesus. Say it. We we have two boards here that keep us straight outside the church that watch over us and stuff. If I get goofy or break the law, they can set me aside and give you you all come in and vote and do whatever you need to do. Other than that, you don't have a vote. Because when we vote, we get goofy. You vote by your pocketbook. You vote by your butt sitting in a seat. If you don't like what's going on, you just pick up your purse or your wallet and leave. Usually your wallet and purse goes way before you do, which you're taking up space. But anyway, just seeing if you have any humor, you're a little tight today, I'm trying to loosen you up. You just look, look at the person and say, you're a little tight today, you need to loosen up. Tell them, but, but I don't have a vote, so why should you get a vote? You think I wanna preach on politics? There's a lot of fun stuff I could preach on. Politics is not a fun thing to preach on. Religion is fun to preach on. Politics is not fun to preach on. But I don't have a vote. When he says, Dalton, it's time, I'm like, okay, Lord. (laughs) Just like you do. It's time for church. I don't want to go to church. You have to go to church. I refuse. I'm not going to church. I'm not leaving this house till you get out of bed. You are going to church. Why do I have to go to church? Because you're the pastor. <laughs> it's a good reason to go to church if you're the pastor, right? You, you think you just have those days, right? Steph, the reason for me, she texts out, You are coming today, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm coming. I told you I wasn't perfect. I'm pretty close. Nah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he said, That you may be brought to complete unity. Then the world, what? The world will know that you sent me. So you're not living for your reputation. You're living for his reputation. You're not living for your purpose and your mission if you're a child of God. You're living for his purpose and his mission. He said, All of this is so we can glorify him as he glorified the heavenly father, so others would be drawn to him. That the world may know that he, you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What? Jesus was most concerned about their unity, not their politics, right? When the world sees unity, even in the midst of diversity, they will pay attention and they will acknowledge that God sent Jesus. I just don't think you realize what a special church you're in right now. We got people from multiple races and educational backgrounds and financial backgrounds, different religious backgrounds that you come in and come under this tent. I mean, it it amazes me how God's prophetic word, uh, when you'll just be humble and obey yourself, how it does. You probably, even though you're not the largest church in this community, you probably have the opportunity to have the greatest impact on your community. I look back here, we got people that came out of drug addiction and all kinds of stuff Saved for the Holy Ghost, joined our church in the last couple months, being a big impact in it. I got people that maybe you're in politics or been in politics. I got attorneys, doctors, lawyers, but I got, you know, trash picker-uppers and janitors and moms and dads and stay-at-home moms and dads and single moms and dads and grandmas being moms and dads for the third time. We got it all. And if we can display unity, what does that say to our community? So, amen. In John 13, Jesus said this, verse 34. He says, As I have loved you, what as you don't have a choice the way you love. I love you if I love you if you'll do this for me or feel that way about me. No. It's not. I love, we love him if he if we love him as he loved. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Look at your neighbor on the left and and say, I love you. Tell them, say, I love you. People go, man, that's the loving us church. I have friends come say, I don't know if I'm coming back to your church. Everybody hug me from the parking lot in. <laughs> I said, well, you know that's the grace of God if they hug you. But anyway, because <laughs> I know you. No, I'm just kidding. So I've loved you, so you must love one another. Now, in the unity of the worldview, includes a God who loves them and a Savior who dies for them. His purpose, his final request, Paul, was protect unity. Yeah, but I didn't get that position I wanted at church. Protect unity. Well, they misunderstood me, and now they're pouting at me in the prayer circle. Protect unity. Well, I don't know if pastor knows my name. Protect unity. I don't really like what he's been preaching lately. I think he's just maybe a little off. Protect unity. You know the best way to protect unity? (laughs) My mama said, if you don't have anything good to say, boy, don't say it. Because if you do, I'm going to beat it back in you. (laughs) You go down and pick your switch. And if I don't like it, I'll use it. And I'll send you for another one. And if I don't like that, I'll use it. And then I'll go get one. We would go down by the creek to pick a switch in the summer, you know, whatever you had short pants on and no shoes, we didn't we we're here we didn't have shoes. In the summer and it waste shoes. We'd go down there and cry. oh God, oh we'd look at each other, you idiot, why'd you say that? Why'd you do that? what would we fight? We, oh, God, oh, God, oh God, oh no, I want that one. That's too thick. Oh that was too sharp, it'll break too soon. You know, you you're like the three bears, you're trying to pick the switch, it's just right. right? <laughs> If not, you got to do it over again. Did you know that's the way God is? He lets you pick your own switch. God doesn't punish me. No, he lets you punish yourself. Stupid, 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 stupid. He don't have to do anything to you. You're really good at messing your own life up. You're really good at getting offended and being offended and offending others and all that brings the punishment. He don't have to do a thing. He's just got grace there for you when you're ready to come home and repent and love people just the way he loved them. We're blaming stuff on God. and He's looking and saying, did you read my book? If you do this, that happens. If you do this, that happens. If you say this, that happens. Why is it lost a box of chocolates, after Jesus' death and resurrection, disciples what? The disciples unified what? With one purpose. What was that? Make disciples of all nations. With one message. The message of Jesus, the Messiah, came to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. One command love God and each other the way they saw Jesus love them. Listen, your candidate is going to win or lose based on the way American citizens vote. On that Tuesday, you can do whatever you want. Somebody going to win, somebody going to lose. It might take a few months to sort it out, but it always do. Somebody going to win, somebody's going to lose. So the American citizens, one way or another, whether you like them or not, they're going to determine whose candidate wins. But get this, we the church... Will win or lose based on how we treat each other and how we treat the world every day. So, you in it for the short game and the long game? You in it for the next 10, 20, 50, 60, 100 years, or you in it for eternity? Because that's going to determine your destiny.
1: So, we must not let
0: anything or anyone divide us. Dead men, dead women don't have opinions. Isn't that interesting, this upside-down doctrine of Christianity? Turn the other cheek, love those that spitefully use you and don't love you. Be good to those that persecute you. My God, Jesus, come on. You had to go extreme on that, didn't you? Then he said, well, don't worry about their splinter. You need to get that plank or two before out of your eye. Why would we allow anyone to divide us from the most sacred covenant of all. An eternal covenant. A blood covenant. Blood brothers, blood sisters. With Christ. So here's, as we end here, I'm going to give you two action steps. <clears throat> two action steps today. The first one is, <clears throat> pray for oneness every day. Pray for oneness. And here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, make us one so we can influence many. Let's pray this together on the count of three. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, make us one, so we can influence many. Heavenly Father, make us one, so we can influence many. So so when somebody talks about someone in your church, pray for them. Don't get into the conversation with them. Pray for him. walk away. Somebody gets in a conversation about Jesus or about the kingdom, just, just pray for them and walk away. They want to fight over the color of your car or politics or where you work or where you go to church. Just pray for them. Heavenly Father, make us one so what we can influence many. Look for what? An opportunity to unconditionally love someone with whom you disagree politically. So this is what I want you to do this week. What I want you to do is find someone that disagrees with you politically and listen to them. Because guess what? I only know what I know. I don't know anything else. And you only know what you know. And everyone that votes a certain way has certain reasons why they vote that way. And if you just kept telling them your reason and your reason and your reason why their reason is wrong and your reason is right, you're not getting anywhere. But if you'll listen to their reason and let them know you listen to it, it's okay. I just, just want to know why you do that. You know why I love you? I'm praying for you. but You don't say, well, I just pastor told me I'd to do this. I don't agree with you, but I'm um, going love you because I have to. Uh, and genuinely love them and listen, don't tell them what you're doing. Just say, I just want to hear why why you what you you know believe and what you vote. And you may learn some things that you didn't know. Because everything we feel, everything we do, every action we take is because of our belief system or the rules. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, the rules we have. Because of the values of the emotional feelings we have of things we want or things we wanna avoid, that's your values, that cause emotional feelings or state of things you want to have or you want to avoid. And that's supported by your belief system, which is your rules for happiness. In other words, you wanna be loved, but some of you can't be loved because you got such weird rules. Well, I love you, and it's been good for three months, but I've graced you long enough, and you haven't brought flowers home for three days. Now, what's your rules for being loved? You want to give love, and you think you're loving somebody, and you're driving them crazy, right? And you're driving, I saw the guy while we were on vacation, he's like a young guy wanting a, wanting a girl, and Christian, and wanting a great young man, and he's like, oh, I just wanted to pass her off. What I do? And I finally said, Buddy, if you ran into Miss Wright, you would run her off. <laughs> You're scaring me. I know you'd scare her. (laughs) You're so anxious and uptight about not missing it. You're going to drive her crazy. He laughs and, okay, I receive that. (laughs) And I really believe he did. And I didn't say it mean. I love him because, he, man, if I had a daughter, I'd want her to marry. He's an amazing young man. But here's the thing. If you want to be loved, you better make sure your rules for accepting love is healthy. And lines up with Jesus' words. If you want to love someone, if you'll love them the way Jesus loved them, they'll love you back. You know how do you keep your best friend forever? Never have a problem with your best friend. You'll never lose a best friend if you treat them the same way ten years later that you did the first time you met them. You want to keep that girl? Treat her just as good as you did on that first date as you did on your tenth anniversary. You want to keep that guy, love and respect him, and treat him just like you did on that first date as you do 10-year anniversary, 20-year anniversary. Watch your rules. So I really want to challenge you this week. Just find someone and listen to them. See what you can learn. See what you can know. If you have an opportunity to talk to them, that's fine. But, But please, the goal is not to offend people. It's just to love people right where they are. And guess what? They may love you just right where you are. So let's end with this scripture. We'll pray. And again, guys, it, my goal is not to get back, spiteful or hurt, you know, convince, uh, be rude, be a punk, be a jerk, be judgment. My, my goal is just to lay this out. You know me. You know I – every time I preach, I say two or three stupid things anyway. You disgrace me or you wouldn't be here. But, but here's the thing. Guys, it, it all gets back about protecting unity. It gets back to loving each other just as we are. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it, Matthew 16, 18. And then in the NIV, it says, I, I, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome. So here's what you can do, and this is what I ask you as we pray. Can you disagree politically and love unconditionally? and pray for unity. Disagree politically, love unconditionally, and pray for oneness or pray for unity. Let's stand. We're here to protect unity. We're here to love people just the way they are. We're here to do our best to understand one another. We're here, if you want to receive grace, so grace, right? If you want to receive love, so love. If you want to receive peace, so peace. If you want to keep unity, if you want to have unity, keep unity. Amen. Amen.